We're going to be in the book of Exodus chapter 19, but there is great revelation here. So open up your Bibles and let's get into it together. Exodus chapter 19 today. We went through 18 and 19 on Wednesday night, and I shared on Wednesday there were several things I wanted to talk about this morning. And as I began to study, uh, I got totally sidelined a different direction. So the things I wanted to talk about Wednesday night in, in Exodus 19, I will talk about this coming Wednesday night in Exodus 19 and, and on into chapter 20. But there's something that I, I needed to hear and I needed to see. And I, I, don't, I don't ever assume that what I need to hear is what you need to hear. And yet this is so big and so important that I really believe this is a very specific word from the Lord for us as a fellowship here this morning. And uh, I'll just add, as, as Jake said, it is so good to see you all. It's so wonderful to be together in, in corporate fellowship. There's nothing like it. Exodus chapter 19, I'm gonna pick up reading in verse 16. It came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down, warn the people so that they do not break through to the Lord to gaze and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves or else the Lord will break out against them. Let's stop there, we'll come back to it. But I need you all to understand something very important that I learned this past week and that is that I hate yogurt. I hate yogurt, I hate it. I didn't used to hate yogurt, but as of this week, I hate yogurt. Thursday morning, I'm reaching for the milk in the fridge to pour into my tea, I'm wanting to get out of the house, get on into the office, and as I reached for the milk, I brushed the little pint tub of organic vanilla yogurt and it slipped out the front of the fridge. The whole thing was slow-mo. Oh, no. And I saw it going down, and I thought, well, maybe that little plastic lid is enough to hold no way. It hit the handle, the lid popped off, and yogurt went everywhere, all over the front of the fridge, onto the floor. That thick, viscous dairy just exploded. And you know what I learned? That gelatinous goo does not clean up easy. That's not a quick fix, you know? I don't even know how, I think I went through a whole roll of paper towels, and of course I'm slopping it up, and it's getting on my arm. Oh man, it's just gross stuff. I'm 15 minutes on my knees, scooping and cleaning and trying to get it out of the cracks, because now it's seeping down into the cracks of the hardwood floor. It's under the refrigerator. It's a complete mess, utter catastrophe, and my son David is standing there, 12 years old, no doubt admiring his father's grace, flexibility, and anger management. 
Not helping either, so I, we have to have that conversation, but it, it, it made me think, man, how perfect a picture is this? I mean, it's like someone spilled yogurt all over the fridge of 2020. What a mess. And governments are trying to clean up and people are trying to figure out how do we make clean what is such a mess in our world? And it begs the question, what do you do when your life is an absolute mess? A recent AP NORC poll revealed something that I found interesting, and, and maybe not for the reason you might think right up front. In fact, the first time I read this statistic, I thought, oh, that's actually good. And the more I thought about it, the more it bothered me. The poll tells us that 63% of Americans who say they believe in God think that COVID-19 is a sign from God. But get this, a sign from God telling humanity to change its ways of living. Again, at first I read that and went, okay. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, wait, it's a sign from God to tell humanity to change its ways of living? That, that's the answer? We've been at this for 6,000 years and all we had to do was change our ways of living? Why didn't we figure this out? Hey, that's easy. Let's just get it done. Let's just change our ways of living. In Exodus chapter 20, the people are gonna begin to receive the law of God in terms of the 10 commandments about which David wrote, listen, Psalm 19 verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect. Restoring the soul the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb, as opposed to the drippings of organic vanilla yogurt. <laughs> the whole point of the law was to show humanity that we could not just change our ways. We can do our best, we can try hard, we can excel, we can, like Benjamin Franklin, keep a list of those things that we need to overcome to become perfect people, but we find after a little bit of effort that we cannot fully change our ways. It just doesn't work. It's like trying to clean yogurt off the hardwood floor. You can get it off the surface, but at second look, you see that it's down in the cracks. And you can try to wipe it out of the cracks, but if you take very long, it's already seeping in. It's there for good, baby. When that floor is pulled up years from now, there's gonna be yogurt stains. You can't get it all up. Man, you can't even get it out from under the fridge. And by the way, who pulls that thing out to clean behind it anyway? It's gross back there. Romans chapter five, verse 20, Paul said very clearly, the law, the law that we're about to get into, the law that is perfect came in so the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, 
Even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the people, they're finally encamped at Mount Sinai where they're gonna spend the next two years and get this, note this, Sinai in the Hebrew, sine, literally translates thorny. They're there at Mount Thorny. What does it make you think of? From, from the thorns gr that grow by the curse of Adam to the thorns that pierce the brow of Jesus Christ, thorns in the Bible, thorniness in the Bible is a picture of the curse of sin in the world. They're gonna receive the law on the mountain of thorniness. A picture of sin itself, or not the law. The law is perfect. But before the law even comes down, engraved in tablets of stone, the people will already have sinned big, huge. Anyone who's ever tried to change their ways of living knows it is a thorny mess. Galatians chapter three, if you have your Bible open, go ahead and turn over there for a moment. Galatians chapter three. Let Paul explain this even further. Galatians 3 in the New Testament. Chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 22. If you get there, check this out. Think this through with me. Paul is dealing with, if you've studied Galatians before, what we call, what he called the Judaizers, those who were trying to take people who have been set free from the law back into the law. And he says in Galatians 3.22, the scripture has shut up everyone under sin. Now, I like that. I'm not sure how your Bible translates it if you don't have a New American Standard Bible, but I like that he says, the scripture has shut up everyone under sin. So when someone comes along and says, hey, we can just do better, I think, no, no, the Bible says, shut up. <laughs> shut up, you can't. This word shuts the mouth of the person who says, but I'm good, shut up. You're not. This word proves it. Look at it closely. The scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being again, shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. I love that. Baptism, the picture of the washing. Get the yogurt out of the cracks. Get it out from under the fridge. Get it off the door. Those of you who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Note that statement, clothed yourselves. Make a mental note of that. Remember that, clothed yourselves. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So what do we do when there's yogurt on the floor? I got faith in Jesus, I believe in Jesus, but I still get stuck in the thorns. I know he's God, I accept his word is true, I love him, 
but I still make messes of my life. What do we do? What are we to do in this season? Well, Jesus said very clearly in Luke 12, 35, be dressed in readiness. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. That's interesting because that's exactly what the Lord told the sons of Israel to do back in Exodus 19. Look at verse eight, Exodus 19, verse eight. Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord and the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. And Moses told the words of the people to the Lord that the people had said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So the Lord, uh, Moses shares that with the Lord. And verse 10, the Lord also said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments. Let them be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. This is a serious law set out before the people, a rule, a standard by which they might approach the Lord. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. He said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Consecration. Consecrate yourselves. Go down and tell the people to consecrate themselves. That Hebrew word consecrate is kidast, the verb form. It's the verb form of the noun kodesh, which is holy. To consecrate is to make holy. Same word in the Hebrew. Consecrate yourselves, make yourselves holy. Listen, it doesn't mean to perfect. What it means literally is to remove or to set apart from common use. Commonly, as you're marching through the wilderness, you're gonna have a certain look, you're gonna be wearing certain clothes, they're gonna be dusty and dirty, whatever, you're on the march. But when you come up to me, you come up consecrated. Wash your clothes. Make yourselves holy. That is, again, set apart from, com or for, from common use. I've mentioned recently that in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at that time of year in Israel, Passover and into the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that Jewish people have a completely different set of dishes, those who adhere to such things, that they will bring in that have never touched leaven, that have never been dirty. They're set apart from common use. They're not used every day. You don't use the everyday dishes. You only bring those out for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then they go away again, stored for the next year. And that's the idea of consecration, of holiness. Coming up to the mountain, this is not going to be your everyday event. I read that and I think, wow, see, that's the point. We can't just change our ways and expect to be good enough for God. But you know what we can do? We can change our clothes. We can wash our garments. And so in Exodus 19, what's happening here, before they go up to God, they have three days to wash. It's wash day in Israel. <laughs> I wonder what that looked like. 
In the Hebrew scriptures, this whole process of consecration, of making oneself holy to come into the presence of God was associated with cleansing, uh, pausing from certain activities, preparing sacrifices and readiness to to become and to, to do that which is not common. For the people on this particular day, it meant washing their garments, their simlot, their outerwear. And then it was refraining from sexual intimacy in marriage. And it was remaining then outside the boundaries that the Lord established for them. They were not to cross those boundaries, especially not breaking through to come up to the mountain. And I said on Wednesday night, there's a right way to approach the Lord. There's always a right way to come before the Lord, to approach him. And if you note in verse 21, it says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, go down, warn the people so that they do not break through to the Lord to gaze, to gaze and many of them perish. I wonder how many people go to church on any given Sunday in America to gaze. You know what? God is not into entertaining looky-loos. He's not interested in bystanders, those who are curious but indifferent to his divine presence. Now, I'm thankful that anyone who shows up is there. I'm thankful that non-believers will show up and and gaze and, and wonder and check it out because I want them to see. We want them to experience the Lord. But God is looking for more than someone who's just gonna show up and check a box and check it out and be curious to his presence. This is not a spectator sport. Following Jesus is not just a sideline thing that we do. And so he tells the people, I want you to be consecrated. Consecrate yourselves, be washed, be prepared, be ready because guess what, Israel? You're about to turn a corner here into a fresh life. I'm gonna give you a new start. We're gonna do a whole new thing here. And it's the same when a person comes to Jesus. That again, Galatians 3.27 says, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. It's a consecration, a cleansing. Paul said in Romans 6 verse three, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism is therefore that picture of being consecrated, a people consecrated, set apart to the Lord. Baptism signifies that covering, that that clothing, not by something as in the water, but by someone as in Jesus himself. You have been clothed with Christ because Jesus alone can clean the mess out of the nooks and crannies. He alone is strong enough to move the fridge to get underneath and to wash these things out. He cleanses us, he consecrates us. Why? For his return for his return, for the coming of the Lord. Consecrate yourselves because the Lord is about to come down, he tells Moses. Ephesians chapter five, verse 25, tells husbands to love your wives, but it's a picture. He says, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, 
having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. By the way, the word sanctified there is the same word as consecrate in the Hebrew scriptures. Sanctifying her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present her to, present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Wouldn't you think that with all that's taking place today, all that we see going on in culture and in the world roundabout, that Christians would be more intent on being dressed in readiness? I, I mean, aren't you? Don't, don't you sense that, man, it's time to be ready for Jesus. I've heard more people in these last few months saying, come Lord Jesus, but not just out of despair, but looking and saying, I never thought I would live to see the world in such a state. Come Lord Jesus, we say, are we intent in readiness? Are we in, in very lifestyle revealing what, what our minds are thinking, what our spirits are saying when we say, come Lord Jesus? The APNORC poll also showed that Americans are increasingly in this four or five month period, increasingly turning to drugs, alcohol, and television during the pandemic. That alcohol purchases are up 25% in the last four months. That's a big percentage of change. Why? Well, you know why. People are staying home and drinking. People are saying, this is hard. Get an extra bottle for this week. Eva was telling me she had to go by Costco and, and, and pick up some stuff for the office and she was there in Costco. She said, it, it blew me away. You know how you walk in the door and on the left side they always have the, the, this is the stuff people are buying type thing. Usually right after the first of the year there are vitamins all along the wall there. <laughs> she walked in, alcohol. Why is that? Supply and demand. There is such a demand. Costco's just doing what businesses do. They know that's where the, the purchases are right now. And so it's all lined up there so people will buy and the consumption is up. At the same time that, that alcohol and drugs and television have gone skyrocketed, you know, the streaming services are huge, right? <laughs> I mean, they're just everywhere. The American Bible Society revealed that over these last few months, Bible reading in the U.S. has dropped precipitously the number of American adults who are considered scripturally engaged. So I'm looking out at a scripturally engaged group of people, but the number of adults who the ABS says are scripturally engaged based on the frequency of scripture reading and its impact on their relationships and life choices has dropped from 28 to 22% in the last six months. These are Bible reading people. These are people who, who take the word and apply it to their lives and that, and I don't know exactly how they measured this, but again, the American Bible Society says that's down in the last six months. Drinking up, Bible down. What's going on here? What I see is indicators of a fearful and lost society that doesn't know it, where it's going, up from down. By the way, how would you measure on these polls? Where are you in these things? I, I had to look at this myself and think about where am I at? What, what have the last few months produced in me, raised in me? Yogurt? <laughs> How's your engagement with Jesus? I like the, the phrase spiritual engagement or scripture engaged 
How's your engagement with Jesus? Or I could say your betrothal. Because as the bride, we are in the midst of a betrothal process right now, right? Has your faith increased or has it fallen off? And if you knew that you had until Wednesday of this week to be ready to go up, what would your next three days look like? Would you consecrate yourself? Would you be seeking and pursuing holiness like never before? See, that's how we're called to live, as though Wednesday's the day. Actually, we're called to live as though this afternoon he's coming. Truly, if you're passionate about Jesus, our calling is to live as though we're not gonna get through this teaching this morning. Someone says amen. (laughs) The Israelites had three days. Three days to be ready to go up to the foot of the mountain for the Lord to come down. And even so, not all of them were very attentive to their consecration. That's a a shocking reality, that some didn't even get consecrated. I'll show you that in just a minute. Let's pause right now, however. What I wanna do here, and this was an aha for me in studying through Exodus, and I think it's really important for us to consider. From here to to chapter 34, the book of Exodus, Moses in this book, frames the whole Mount Sinai encounter with seven ascents of Moses. That is from here to to chapter 34, Moses will go up the mountain exactly seven times. Well, that's important. The moment I saw that, I thought, okay, we gotta look at that. Seven times he goes up, he comes down. He goes up, he comes down. He goes up, he comes down. I won't do that seven times, but he did. Seven times. And the first three are immediately right here in this chapter. So follow me on this. Jot these down if you're a note taker or maybe just make a note in your Bible. The seven ascents of Moses. The first ascent is first, verse three verse, through uh, verse eight here in chapter 19. Verse three, Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession. That is my peculiar treasure among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So verse seven, Moses came, comes back down, and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Yes, Lord, they say, yes. The first ascent of Moses is the call to obedience the call to obedience. Moses, go back down and tell the people to obey me and they will be my treasure, my special people. Tell them to obey and the people respond as Moses comes back down, yes, we will do it, we will obey. That's the first ascent. The second ascent picks up in verse eight and it is the requirement of consecration which is what we've been talking about. Look again, verse eight continues, Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord and the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'll come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. 
Moses told the people, or told the words of the people to the Lord, and he said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. And we just read about that ascent. So he goes up, the Lord tells him all these things about consecration, the importance of it, what he wants the people to do. Moses goes back down to tell the people. Notice this. Notice that their redemption came before the call to obedience and the requirement of consecration. God already had delivered them. He had already redeemed them out of Egypt, already brought them out before saying, I want you to obey and I want you to be consecrated. That's huge because that's what God does. Grace precedes faith, precedes baptism, precedes any act of the Christian life. Grace is first. That's huge when we realize he's already redeemed me. He's already paid the price. He did that long before I even considered him. He brought me out. He brought the redemption right to the table. He does that first before asking for, re, for obedience or calling for consecration. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, note the pattern here. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And note that salvation has been brought to all men, all humanity. Believers and non-believers alike, God has brought salvation to everybody. That doesn't mean everybody's saved. It means the work has been done for all to be saved. He's brought salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope. That's the rapture of the church, you Bible students and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, when he comes in his second coming. And listen, note the order, Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed first and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, consecration second, and third, a people who are zealous for good deeds. See, the zealous for good deeds the desire to serve, to work, to do ministry, to all, all that behavioral change, that comes after. It's grace first, purification second, and then the deeds are gonna follow in that pattern. He redeems us, he purifies us, and then we become zealous for good deeds, recognizing what he has done, and that leads us into the consecrated life. That's why for years we've been preaching here, grace first. Grace comes first. We respond to his grace. And it's that response that empowers us to live faithfully as followers of Jesus. So the first ascent was the call to obedience. After redemption had already happened, call to obedience. The second ascent, the requirement of consecration. The third ascent picks up in verse 16 and runs through verse 25. And I would just call it, jot this down, the seriousness of holiness and I'll come back to that in a minute. But the next time Moses goes up, it's chapter 20. Go ahead and turn over there. Chapter 20, verse 21. Chapter 20, verse 21. And it'll run through chapter 23. And we're told in verse 21, the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. 
And then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. So note this, the fourth ascent, we could call the mediation of the fear of the Lord. The mediation of the fear of the Lord. In this ascent, which, which we can read about chapter 20, verse 21, all the way through chapter 23, the fourth ascent. Understand this, Moses did not go up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. Not at first. Eventually, yes. But not at first. Not even on this trip up the mountain does he go up to receive the tablets of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20, what we'll see, and we'll start to get into this on Wednesday night, God spoke aloud to the people the Ten Commandments. They're at the foot of the mountain as the mountain is quaking and shaking and fiery and rumbling, and it absolutely terrified them. The blast of the voice of the Lord like a ram's horn trumpet, the mountain shaking as each one of the Ten Commandments came down. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is remarkable. This wasn't like Charlton Heston hiding in a little rock and a little fire comes out, you know, and, psh, and then the commandment's written. No, the people heard it. Moses and the people at the foot of the mountain heard the Lord say, you shall have no other gods before me as the mountain shook and rumbled. Children, obey your parents. I mean, I want my kids to hear it that way. <laughs> at the fiery mountain. But after God spoke all of the Ten Commandments, as we read in Exodus 20, the people are so absolutely terrified. Verse 18 of chapter 20 says, they perceived the thunder, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw, they trembled and stood at a distance. And then they said to Moses, speak to us yourselves and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. And so Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. For God has come in order to test you, and in order that you may fear, the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. This was intentional. God wanted to rattle them, as it were. And so the fourth time Moses goes up Sinai, he goes up to mediate their fear. He becomes the, the, the go-between because they were so afraid. They didn't even want to hear another word. It was terrifying the people. I like that. The fear of the Lord is a great deterrent to sin, which is why we are called to be a people who maintain the fear of the Lord in our lives. Proverbs 3, 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And I'll tell you, part of the problem that the church, especially in America today, is having is we are wise in our own eyes. Not enough in the word we're more in, in the creeds and the faith statements of the particular church. And we say, hey, yeah, I know God says this, but our wisdom dictates differently. So we're going to do things a little differently than what his word says. Because, I, you know, it's all good. But, but isn't this a better idea? It's being wise in our own eyes rather than fearing the Lord. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12. You're going to love this. Isaiah the prophet said, the Lord through Isaiah said, you are not to say, a conspiracy! 
in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy, and you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. And he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread, and then he shall become your sanctuary. Fear the Lord, and he becomes your sanctuary. Why? Because you know he's strong. You know he's holy. You know he's solid. So Moses goes up because the people are so afraid. He mediates for their fear. But then Moses came back down. Note in chapter 24 of Exodus, 24, verse 3, which reads, then Moses came and recounted to the people. He doesn't have the tablets of the law yet, but he recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances, and all the people answered with one verse and said, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then comes the fifth ascent after this. The fifth ascent, picking up in verse 12 of chapter 24, running through chapter 31, verse 18, is the reception of the law. So now Moses, he, he hears this much, he tells the people, he writes it down, then he goes back up to actually receive it from the Lord himself. This is when he goes up to get the tablets, the fifth ascent, reception of the law, picking up in verse 12 of chapter 24. Now the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and remain there and I will give you the stone tablets which, and with the law and the commandments which I have written for their instruction. So Moses arose with Joshua, his servant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. To the elders, he said, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let him approach them. And then Moses went up to the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Moses entered the midst of the cloud and as he went up into the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So he'd received the law. You know when the fear of the Lord fades? When we get out of presence, out of sight, out of mind. It's a rule in my house. Out of sight, out of mind. If I leave a bill on the counter with a little paperweight on it, Cheryl knows leave it there because if she puts it away in my dresser drawer or puts it on my desk, out of sight, out of mind, it's not gonna get done. I gotta have it in front of me. The further away from the Lord we get as a people, the less we fear him. The more we stay within his presence nearby, the more we continue to fear him and recognize his holiness in our lives. Note that it's during this 40-day absence of Moses while he's up on the mountain in the presence of the Lord that the people get dirty, yogurt all over the place. And again, when we get out of presence, we lose sight of the Lord. They forgot their consecration. They forgot their call to holiness and in forgetting their consecration, they forge the golden calf. That happens in Exodus 32. And Moses is gonna have to turn right around and go back up. So turn over to Exodus 32. The golden calf conundrum or, or failure 
the epic fail of the people of Israel has happened. And then in Exodus chapter 32, verse 30, we see Moses going back up and that runs through chapter 34, verse three. It says, on the next day, Moses said to the people, you yourselves have committed a great sin and now I am going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And so Moses goes back up and this time it's an intercession for forgiveness. So it's the sixth ascent, the sixth ascent. And you can, you can spend some time going back over these. I'm giving them to you for a reason so that you can think through why is each ascent the way it is and why does each one have such a unique reason for it? This is now the sixth. Strikes me that six is a number of a man and he has to go up and intercede for forgiveness. And as he goes up, he appears before God. But, but at this point, Moses not only intercedes for the forgiveness of the people, but he pleads for God's appearance. This is the time where Moses is gonna say, Exodus 33, 18, show me your glory. And the Lord responds, you can't handle my glory. <laughs> Quote, unquote. The Lord says, in essence, I'm gonna cover you with my hand. I'm gonna put you in the rock over here. I'll cover you up with my hand and I will pass by. And then I'll let you see my glory trailing off as I pass by. But, but before that happens, God sends Moses back down the mountain again. Moses goes down after being in the presence, after interceding for the forgiveness of the people. He goes down because now he has to carve out two tablets. Two tablets that he will take back up the mountain before the Lord and then the Lord will inscribe those. The first two God gave to Moses. God carved and inscribed. This time he says, no, you go down and carve them up. Bring them to me and I'll inscribe them. And that brings us to the seventh and final ascent. If you look over in Exodus 34, begins in verse four and runs through verse 29. So he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and he took the two stone tablets in his hand. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. And I would call the seventh and final ascent the resolution of Yahweh. The resolution of Yahweh. Now, I don't mean resolution like we make a New Year's resolution. I mean resolution as determination, that Yahweh is resolute. What's awesome is as Moses goes back up this seventh time and actually receives the law, the covenant, what he discovers is it's exactly the same. God hasn't tweaked it. <laughs> he hasn't tried to fix it. We've been tweaking our church bylaws for 17 years. I kid you not. We pull them out every now and then, look at them and go, okay, we're not exactly doing it that way, so we need to revise. We discover things in scripture, which has forced us to go back and tweak our faith statement. Yeah, we have a statement of faith. I think I've told you before, we have one that's attached to our bylaws for legal reasons, but we don't publish it and put it out here not because we're having anything to hide, but because this is our statement of faith. And as we study the word and we are in the word, we start to discover there are things we need to have added and there are things that we probably got wrong. And so bylaws, statement of faith, man, that stuff's fluid. Anything that is of the writing of man, that's fluid, that's gonna change. As we learn and grow, God's word never changes. Moses goes up, 
The Ten Commandments are exactly as they were given. The law, exactly as he had spoken it before. The instructions for the tabernacle, just as precise. Nothing has changed. The rules and law for the priesthood, exactly the same. Why? Because God is resolute. God is immutable. God is unchanging. When he speaks it, that's the deal. His word is never failing. You never find God going back on his word and saying, well, you know, I've learned a few things this year. So maybe we should try it this way. Let's, let's tweak the law a little bit. No, the law of the Lord is perfect. And so there is a permanency to the plan of God. Now it's during this last ascent up Mount Sinai that Moses will see God's glory trailing off as the Lord passes by. He will hear God declaring his goodness in what I think is the most profound statement in all the Hebrew scriptures as God describes himself. Look at it, it's chapter 34, verse six. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And yet, he will not, or he will by no means leave unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and the fourth generation. I've, I've shared this to you many times. That does not mean he blames the kids for the father's sins. It means he comes and visits to see, are you gonna walk in the father's sins or are you gonna follow me? In other words, every generation has opportunity to choose the Lord themselves. It's not written in stone. The choice of faith. Verse eight says, Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and to worship. And in verse nine, he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your own possession. Seven ascents, up and down, and up and down, and up and down, and I look at that and I think, what a picture of the ups and downs of life, and the ups and downs of our, our faith. We see in these ups and downs a call to obedience. He goes up, he comes down. Have you been called to obey, but then came down and didn't do so well? We see the requirement of consecration. He goes up, he comes down. We see the mediation for the fear of the Lord. In our case, our mediator is Jesus who always lives to make intercession for us. I can't count the number of times in my life I know that he has mediated on my behalf. It's Hebrews 7.25 that he always lives to do that for us. The reception of the law in Moses' case, but we have the reception of grace. We go up, we receive grace, and we come down. And then there's intercession for forgiveness that is ongoing and eternal by Jesus. There's the unchangeable resolution of the Lord. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. We go up, we come down. We go up, we come down. It's the ups and downs of your faith life and mine. We have good mornings where the tea is made easily without a spill. And then we have yogurt Thursdays. Exodus 34, 29. Hang on a second, I left it already. Exodus 34, 29 says, it came about when Moses was coming down, and this is what I love. 
in all our ups and downs. From the thorny patches to the yogurt spills to God's goodness and glory revealed. You know what's happening? Through all these ups and downs, we're being changed by him, for him, through him. We are being altered. Exodus 34, 29. It came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed. We go up and down, but we're being transformed through the whole journey of faith, those mountaintop high experiences of great faith on our part and those valley deep lows when we come down. We're up, we're down, we're up, we're down. Sometimes we get so tired of the ups and downs of our lives and yet we are being changed from glory to glory, transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord, the Spirit And it's marvelous, this is what God's doing in you and what he's doing in me. But what about the third ascent? I gotta talk about it for a minute longer here, so turn back, Exodus chapter 19 and verse 16. The third ascent, do you remember what it was? The seriousness of holiness. And understand while I talk about this, as we go through these ups and downs, yes, we are being transformed. We're being altered and changed in ways that we don't even see. Like Moses, we don't even know we're glowing because God's doing the work. His spirit in me. And yet, there is the seriousness of holiness in the third ascent. And I save this one because this is the thing, this was so unexpected that happened on this third ascent. The way it even reads is unexpected. Verse 16, it came about on the third day when it was morning. There was thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain, a very loud trumpet sound. All the people in the camp trembled. Moses brought them out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. The whole mountain quaked violently. The trumpet of the, uh, the sound of the trumpet grew, grew louder and louder. Moses spoke with God. God answered him with thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up and what an epic, amazing moment. The mountain's on fire. It's encased in smoke a truly awesome, glorious, trumpet-shaking spectacle when suddenly God waves Moses off. Hang on, hang on, Moses, go back down. What? Clearly God has never produced an epic movie. You don't just stop at the highlight. You don't pause. At the, clearly, he's never been a conductor of a symphony orchestra. When the music swells and comes to the high point, you don't tap the, the stand and say, whoa, 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 let's, let's try this again. Let's start over. But God, in verse 21, says, go down. Well, I just got here, Lord. Go down. <laughs> Warn the people so they do not break through to the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And also let the priests, and the priests at this time would not be the Aaronic priests, They would just be the heads of households, the leaders, as it were, because priests can also be translated chiefs. Let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, implying that some of them had not, 
or else the Lord will break out against them. It's like being on the starting line of the 100-meter dash at the Olympics, hearts racing, adrenaline pumping, that silence before the race. The starter holds up his pistol. He says, on your marks, get set. Hold on. I mean, you can just see three or four of the runners falling on their faces. Hold on. Wait, what? And in fact, verse 23, Moses said to the Lord, the people can't come up on Mount Sinai. For you warned us, saying, set bounds about the mountain and, and consecrate it. We did that. We got this, Lord. Boundaries, check. Consecration, check. We're good. And that's the problem. We're good. We got this. We. What about he? The old saying goes, an easygoing people believe in an easygoing God. And if our approach to God is casual, offhanded, or, or worse, blasé, we will tend to see God as offhanded, casual, blasé. And my God, your God, is not that way. He's not a casual God. Personal, yes, but I think sometimes we confuse personal with casual. Verse 24, the Lord said to him, go down and come up again. I love, the Lord doesn't even answer him. I mean, Moses says, we got this covered. And the Lord doesn't even say, no, you don't. You need to do this, that, and the other. He just says, go down. You need to double, you need to double check the boundaries and the consecration. Go down, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and people break through to come up to the Lord or he will break forth upon them. The third ascent is the seriousness of holiness. Of all the ascents, it's the most strange to me because it's the one where Moses is called, he goes up and he's sent right back down because the people really are not ready. There are those who are not consecrated. There are boundaries that are not firm and set as they thought they were in the first place. The seriousness of holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty who was and who is, and listen, and who is to come. He's coming. Are we ready? Are we consecrated for him to come down? See, our society, and, and, and I get this, it's a sinful world we live in, but our society has developed such a casual view of sin that it's just lived out right in the open. And I remember a time in American culture where there were still some sins that were not broadcast. Not anymore. Not anymore. Whatever your sin flavor is, go for it. Live it out. Do it. No big deal. Right in the streets, in the town square, in public. Live your sin because, hey, it's yours to live. And that's our culture. But the Christian answer, please hear me on this. In fact, if, if you've dozed it all in the cool of the breeze in the hillside, please dial into this. The Christian answer often goes something like this. See if you've ever said this. I have. God hates sin because it hurts us physically, emotionally, spiritually. He hates what sin does to us. God hates sin. And you know what? That's true. 
He knows what it does to us. He hates the pain that it causes us. But you know what? That doesn't go nearly far enough. It's not just what sin does to us. It's what sin is to a holy God. It's not just the impact of sin on our lives. It's how it offends him. And once again, I got spun around this week because it's like, man, get off of the page of yourself and onto the page of Jesus and who he is and who God is and what God is about. Holy, holy, holy. Mottier puts it this way. The heart of the matter is that we are dealing with a holy God and not even the best intentioned, sustained and sincere efforts at self-sanctification make us fit for his presence or make his presence anything less than a mortal danger to us. God's absolute holiness is a recurring theme throughout this word. From Genesis to Revelation, it is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. And it's in his word so often to cause us to stop, go back down the mountain, recheck the boundaries, double check the consecration of our lives before approaching him. Now, someone might say, well, Rick, that, you're making it sound like God doesn't want us to draw near. Of course he does. <laughs> That's the whole point of the consecration. He wants his people to draw near. He wants us to be close to him, but it must be his way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, Jesus said. To be consecrated and approach the Lord must be his way by the blood of the holy Christ. That's what Paul meant in Galatians chapter three when he said we have clothed ourselves with Christ. His blood, our cleansing, his spirit, our covering. Now I gotta show you one more thing on this if you'll flip over quickly in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22 where Jesus is telling a parable and it is such a graphic parable in description. Looking back and reading it through the lens of, of history and all that's taking place, you see every nuance of what Jesus says and it's, it's mind-blowing how prophetically specific this is. Matthew 22, verse two, Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, verse two, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves, that would be the prophets, to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast and they were unwilling to come. The prophets went to the people of Israel. The first call, the first choice, come on to the wedding feast. And again, he sent out other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited. Behold, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered. Everything is ready, come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. And they went their way, one to his farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. You know what that says? The leaders of Israel were brutal to the prophets. The people themselves just didn't care. Yeah, I gotta go tend my farm. Yeah, I got stuff to do with the fam. Let the leaders deal with these guys. And the prophets were stoned and killed and sawn in two. Jesus continues and says, but the king was enraged, verse seven, 
And he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. What happened in 70 AD? Jerusalem burned to the ground, exactly as Jesus warned. And then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited, listen, those who were invited were not worthy. Translation, no consecration. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. And on the hillside this morning, we could say, look what the cat dragged in. <laughs> no offense. But note that he says the evil and the good. There was no distinction. The invitation is to everybody. No matter how messed up or how seemingly clean, come on to the wedding feast. And so they came and they fill the hall. That's a picture clearly of the church. But, verse 11, when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. By the way, wedding clothes and worthy are the same problem. Back in verse eight, those who were invited were not worthy. They weren't consecrated. They weren't dressed. They didn't care. This man is there. He's present, but he's not wearing the wedding clothes. A casual approach to the wedding, he just doesn't care. It's not a big deal. Perhaps he's just there to gaze at the spectacle. But he is not consecrated, and he is not dressed for the wedding. The man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer, outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. And you don't come waltzing into the wedding wearing whatever you want. You come to the Lord consecrated. We come consecrated. Revelation 19, verse seven, speaking of the marriage feast of the lamb, let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has done what? Made herself ready made herself ready, you could say consecrated. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen, get this, is the righteous acts of the saints. That zealousness for good deeds, the righteousness has been given to us. Will we wear it? Are you wearing the righteousness that has been given to you, bought and paid for by Jesus Christ? The fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. I need to point this out. Saints is the word in the Greek, hagios, also translated holy or consecrated. Same word. Hebrew consecrate, kadash, holy, kodesh. In the Greek, it's hagios. And when you see sanctified, when you see consecrated, when you see holy, when you see saints in the New Testament, it's hagios. And it means set apart from common use. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a saint. Understand you have been set apart from common use. You are no longer a commoner, as it were. You are now a royal priest, as Peter says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. 
and for all people just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness, hagiosmos, before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his hagios, his saints. That's how you approach the holy mountain. That's how we come before a holy God. Exodus 19, verse 10, again, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. The Hebrew pastor puts it this way, Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification, hagiosmos, without which no one will see the Lord. You do not come to the Lord unless you be consecrated. Revelation 22, verse 11 says, let the one who does wrong still do wrong and the one who is filthy still be filthy and let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Don't dismiss holiness as irrelevant or unnecessary in this thorny yogurt spilt messed up world. We are called to be holy and now more than ever before in our lives to be dressed in readiness as Jesus said. Yes, we do need to change our ways of living but not so that God will get coronavirus off our backs and get things back to normal. We need to be consecrated for the sake of his holiness because the Lord himself is coming down. And Father, I ask that as we consider all of the ups and downs of Moses and continue to consider as you allow the ups and downs of your people in trying to learn what it means to trust you. I pray, Lord, you will consecrate us and prepare us. I pray, Father, for those who are not consecrated, those who have never received Jesus by faith, whether listening somewhere at home today or here on the hillside. I pray, Lord, for those who have never been baptized, following the declaration of faith in Jesus, immersed into you, that that consecration would happen now before, before we go up. And Father, for those of us who have now come to the foot of the mountain, may there not be found among us one who is not dressed in readiness. I ask, Father, for the pursuit of holiness among us. I pray, Father, for the conviction of behaviors that are out of line with you. I pray for a deepened desire for us to walk having Christ indwell us, Christ alongside us, Christ poured out on us by your spirit, Lord, that we might truly be the pure and spotless bride you desire for us to be. May we be a people of righteousness, oh Lord, not self-righteousness, but of the righteousness given to us in Jesus Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.